call them kids. Um, in my world, at my point in life, anybody under 40 is a child. So, you know, and they'll keep moving up So as we go. So uh, anyway, we, we love them, and we're so glad God brought them here, and they've been an encouragement and a, a blessing to us. Uh, we are in a study of the parables of Jesus Christ. A parable is simply <clears throat> an earthly story that Jesus tells that has a eternal or a heavenly type application and meaning. So, so far, we've dealt with a number of the parables. We've talked about the eight kingdom parables. We've talked about the three parables of the lost thing. Last week, we started into this section of the parables that, for lack of a better term, I'm just talking basic Christian truths, basic tr- truths about the kingdom that God wants us to understand. And so last week, we talked about the vineyard parable, talking about the grace, that God offers grace to everyone equally. Uh, this morning, in light of during the, the, the child dedication service and, and, and these parents and, and their children, uh, I want to take a parable that really talks kind of about this idea. And it's a parable, it's, it's unique because <clears throat> it actually comes at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So in Matthew 5, 6, 7, Jesus does the Sermon on the Mount. When he comes to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he tells basically three stories. He talks about the idea that there's a wide road and there's a narrow road. He talks about the idea that there's good fruit and there's bad fruit. And then he ends the Sermon on the Mount with the parable we're going to look at this morning. And he really lays a foundation for the whole understanding of the Sermon on the Mount. And again, he's been teaching Sermon on the Mount, for those of you who may not know, you know, you know, it has the Beatitudes in it, you know, blessed are the more and blessed are the, it has all of that in it, it has a whole bunch of other things. But when he comes to the end of it, um, here's what he says, Matthew chapter 7, and here's what he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> Only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles? And I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. We talked about this at Easter, the foundation that you build on. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came, the streams rose, the winds blew, beat against that house, yet it did not fail. Because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears the words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew, beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as one of their teachers of the law. So Jesus comes to this story. And you remember this, you remember this story as a kid? There was a little song with this. What is it? All I remember is the wise man built his, yeah, see, kindergarten teacher, go to her. All, here's the only thing I remember of the song. Splat. That's what I remember. Okay? That's, that's what I remember. Splat. That's what I remember. Uh, but I mean, that's the idea. Okay? You know this. Some of you have been around church for a while. You heard this story when you, all the time you were even little kids. So let's talk about some things that are unique about this story or that are the same. There's a lot of things in this story that are absolutely the same. For instance, both builders build. Both builders uh, build on the same location. So it's not like one's building on high ground and one's building on low ground. 
the, we get the impression that they're just building together. One's there and one's right there. Uh, both builders build the same kind of house. It doesn't say that one house is built out of stone and one's built, you know, it's not like the, um, what's the other story? Um, three little pigs, yeah, three little pigs. It's not like the three little pigs where, you know, there's stone and wood and straw. This child thing's got me all messed up. But anyway, you know, it's not like the three little pig story. They both build the same kind of houses. So we don't see a a, a distinction in the houses that are built. But here's what we do. Both builders experience the exact same storm. It's not like one storm was worse than no. They both get hit by the same storm. The thing that's different is what they built on and the result of the storm. Those are the two things that are different in this story. So let's walk through a couple of things just so we have a good, good understanding like they would have in the Bible time. In the Bible days, when they talk about this idea and Jesus talks about building on a rock, you need to know if you've ever been to Israel, here's the thing that you will be overwhelmed with right at the bat, and that's this. There are rocks everywhere. There are rocks everywhere. I used to watch news, and I'd watch how they'd have a riot, and they'd be throwing rocks at people, and I'm like, why are they throwing rocks? And I realized, because at any point in Israel, you're within three feet of a rock. Because rocks are everywhere. That, that's just the, the nature of the, 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 the area. In this world, there was a lot of building, both by the Romans, um, particularly by the Romans and even the Jewish people. And one of the things that would have been significant is, and would have lodged in the mind of everyone hearing this, was the Temple Mount. Uh, if you, don't, if you don't, don't know anything about the Temple Mount area, this is where um, the tabernacle originally sat, and then it went to the temple, and then um, at this point you have Herod's temple in the, in the history of it. Uh, but it sits on the Temple Mount, and this area is massive. Uh, just to give you some ideas, it's over 15 stories high. Uh, they took a 1,000 priests and trained them in masonry work to work on this temple area. Uh, some of the limestone blocks in the temple thing weigh over 500 tons. And again, this is before heavy equipment and that kind of thing. The south wall itself uh, is over 900 feet long, uh, 150 feet high. At one point in the Kidron Valley, it's actually uh, over 225 feet um, that they have built this mount area that the temple... Um, they estimate, and Robinson's Arch, for instance, is 75 feet tall. Uh, 45 feet across. So the arch is, is not quite as wide as this building, but you talk about 75 feet tall. This is probably 20, 25 feet, so three times the height of this, all, all out of stone. Uh, massive, massive amounts of stone. When you go to the Temple Mount, actually, you can go underneath and you can see some of the stones from first century. Uh, what's amazing to me is you've got these massive, massive stones. I'm not talking about blocks. I'm talking about blocks that are like, half the size from here to that wall. And there's another block right beside it, and you can't shove a piece of paper between them. It's massive. So when Jesus uses this thing about building on a rock, oh, I mean, these guys get it. They, they understand completely. And he talks about the idea that he says, the wise man is like the man who builds on a rock, the foundation. We talked about this at Easter, that Jesus has to be the foundation. Here he's talking about, the idea of as you build, what you're building on is, this, is that foundation, but you're also building by being in obedience 
to what Jesus has taught, in particular, in specifics, the Sermon on the Mount, and the big picture, the whole Bible. So he lays out that foundation. He also, it's interesting because he uses the analogy of a house. And I think that's fascinating. And here's why. We don't often think of our lives in those terms, but basically what Jesus is saying is, look, your life is like a house. Now, here's, I'm not trying to just, don't overthink it. What do you do with a house? You live in it. Okay? Yeah, some of you are going, whoa, whoa, whoa. You live in it. It's really simple. Okay? By choosing the analogy of a house, here's what he's saying. Whatever you build, you've got to live in. You get that? Whatever you, whatever you build is what you live in. And that is a simple concept, but that is a huge concept. You want to know one of parents? You want to know one of the best things you can teach your children? You're going to live with the choices you make. You're going to live with the choices you make. You know what I see parents doing right now? Trying to soften the choices or trying to soften the consequences or do away with the consequences or make the consequences easy or run interference or, oh, how dare you? I could never believe that my child would ever do that. No, 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 no. No. You live in the house you build. Kids, you can blame anybody you want to blame, but at the end of the day, you want to know who's responsible for your life? You are. Period. Well, yeah, but I didn't have the best. No, period. It's you. There's nobody to blame but you. You are the result of your choices. And you have, and parents, we have to get back to teaching this. One of the things that I love, Andy Stanley and Charles Stanley, they, the, the, in this thing that we watch, Andy Stanley talks about his first traffic ticket. And you have to understand, and this was insight to me, Charles Stanley, when his dad died when he was like less than a year old or so. So he was raised without a father. So he had to figure life out for himself. So when he raised his kids, he had two kids. When he raised his kids, he raised them the same way. Andy Stanley tells the day that he got his first traffic ticket. And he had to come home and tell his dad. He said, Dad, he said, uh, I got a traffic ticket. Thought dad would go all ballistic on him and everything else. And dad said, okay. He said, well, dad, what am I supposed to do? He said, well, he said, uh, probably all the information you need is on the back of the ticket. Turned around walked off. He said, and it was monumental for him because he realized, what his dad was saying is, you're old enough to drive, you're old enough to figure out how to take care of your own ticket. It's not my job. And he said, by teaching his kids that, he helped them understand that you are the product, you are the responsibility of your own choices. And I can't stress that enough, parents. Jesus in this story says, look, they built their house. It, it naturally assumes they were living in this house that they built. And guess what? You and I are going to live in the house that we built. He also talks about this thing. We don't realize this, but it took time to build the house. Um, houses take time to build. Now, so if you don't understand this culture, uh, let me tell you how it worked in Bible times. Okay, and I'm going to use my family as an example. Okay, so I've got my house. I got my little acreage here. We've got like three acres here, and I got my house. So JT decides that he wants to get married. And we spent year trying to talk Aaron out of it. She still said yes. And now when I just look at her and go, I did my part. <laughs> 
you know, you're stuck. Um, so what happened is, but what happened is, what JT would have done is he would have gone to Erin and say, I want to marry you. And she'd say, okay, fine, we're engaged. Now, what, in this culture, what he would have done, he would have then spent the next year building onto our house. He would build like a little wing for him and his family. When he gets that finished, yeah, the scary, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> when he gets that finished, what he would do is he would go and he would get Aaron. When we get to parable of the bridegroom, you're going to see this play out. Okay, So he would have done that. Then they would have gotten married, and she would have lived. She and JT and their family would have lived in that way. Then Josh says, hey, I want to get married. I'm going to propose to Alex. And we spent a year trying to tell her this is a bad idea. She still did it anyway. So he would have then spent a year getting the next wing ready for him and his family. That's the way it worked. It's not like you went to a realtor and go found a place to live. That's the way this worked. So when Jesus uses this story of building a house, they have this concept that, yeah, okay, everybody builds a house for their family because that's the way the system worked. Normally, it took about a year. Because, again, it wasn't like go down to Home Depot or Menards or Lowe's and pick up what you need. No, this was... Get the blocks, cut them, put them, lay them, mortar them in, do the next one, that kind of thing. So that was the culture. So when Jesus uses this story, they, they get this. So they're, they're going through this story and going, okay, so the guy builds. He builds his house on a solid foundation versus stone. And notice what happened. The storm comes to both houses. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> this area of the country, or this area of the world, uh, is pretty much dry. Don't get a ton of rain, but they do get some. It's kind of like we were just in Moab a couple of weeks ago, and the Jeep guy, I was talking, we, we took a Jeep tour, and, and I love talking to those guys, so we were talking and stuff like that, and, and, and he said, I said, so what's it like? We were going through a gully, just driving through this gully, and he said, it's really awesome when it's full of water. And he said, but the thing is, he said, where we are in the country, he said, we don't get a lot of rain. He said, but when we do get it, it comes down very, very fast, the soil is so dry, it doesn't absorb any of it. It all rushes down into this gully. He said, I will set up tours with people, and they'll call me and say, hey, look, I was looking at the weather, and they said that it's going to rain. He said, what they don't understand is it's going to rain for 10 minutes, and it's going to be gone. He said, what they also don't understand is this. If you ever want a Jeep ride that is awesome, you want to do it right after the rain. He said, those are the best Jeep rides. He said, we can't convince people of that. And I'm like, oh, this would have been so cool to go through like three feet of water and all of this kind of, but he said, so, he said, as soon as it rains, he said, if we don't have a tour, he said, we jump out and head to it to try to get through it. Because he said, because what happens is it comes down so fast and so quick, it's over like that. That's what Jesus says happens to these houses. They're built on the fountain. A storm comes. It comes quick. And then it's over. If you haven't figured this out yet, living life without a storm isn't too hard. But when the storm comes, and it will, you're going to find out what kind of foundation and what kind of house you built. And Jesus here talks about somebody who, who one guy took the time to build it in the right place in the right way, and one guy didn't. And when it's all said and done, this guy's left with disaster, and this guy's left with going home to his house that night. So he uses this story to say, look, if you want to be smart, Build on the things that I've taught. Now, 
so that we understand this in the Jewish world, because I think there's some things in the Jewish world that would really help us as Christians if we could get them. And here's one. In the Jewish world, there was something known as the Shema. It's from Deuteronomy chapter 6. So let me read it, and let me give you their background, and then let me help you understand how we apply it. The Shema is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. A Jewish person would quote this numerous times during the day often, Orthodox Jew. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words, which I command you today, shall be in your heart. So this is Deuteronomy, you know, Moses and all that. And then it goes on to say this. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. See that little box on top? This is an Orthodox Jewish person. See that little box on top of his head? It's a phylactery. Okay? The Jewish or super, super Orthodox people do this, and this is a way that the Word of God is actually in there. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. And it is a reminder to them that the Word of God is to always be in front of everything that they do. This is called a mezuzah. Um, these are very common in a Jewish home or even in a Jewish motel. Here's one in a Jewish motel. They're put on the doorposts of a house. So if you get into Orthodox Judaism, uh, here's and, and Jews at the time of, of Jesus, here's the mindset behind all of this. Um, in Orthodox Judaism today, for instance, inside that mezuzah, in an Orthodox Jewish home, is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. It's put on a scroll, it's rolled up, and it's put inside this little box. Okay? That's interesting. Orthodox Jews make the box very simple because they want it to be, uh, they don't want something that, it's kind of the Indiana Jones theory, that um, they want the container that contains the Word of God to be something that is common versus they want the focus to be on the Word of God. And so they take Deuteronomy, that passage, they scroll it up, they put it in there, uh, they have a priest bless it, and then the priest puts it in, the, or, or a rabbi bless it, and they put it in the, in the mezuzah. And you buy this mezuzah, and in, in a Jewish home, you put it two-thirds of the way up on the right side of the door. In super-Orthodox Jewish homes, they will have a mezuzah on every door going into every major room in the house. Uh, so the only rooms are, util- it wouldn't be in utility rooms or bathrooms or things like that, but in the living room, there would be a mezuzah, in the bedroom, there would be a mezuzah. Uh, all of the rooms would have one of those. And often in the Jewish world, they will touch that and they will touch it to their lips. It's a reminder that the Word of God is to always be part of my life. That's, it's amazing to me the reverence that they have for the Word of God. I was reading an article this week and said some people actually take the mezuzah down every so often, have it cleaned and inspected, because they want to make sure that none of the letters have cracked or they'll replace it. They have that much reverence to it. That they, that, that they want the Word of God to constantly be on, on their mouth, on their lips, on the way that they talk, and all of those kinds of things. And we're not Orthodox Jews, but there's some tremendous principles in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and the application of how the Jewish people do it. And this is what I would say to you. When you talk about building a house that's going to survive the storm, here's a couple of principles from Deuteronomy 6. First of all, you've got to love the Lord. I may say it sounds simple, but do you genuinely love Lord? As your kids look at you, can they say, you know, the one thing about mom and dad, they love Lord. I may not agree with it. I think they go take it way too far, but you know what? 
I know they love the Lord. That's what our family, that's what our kids, that's what our grandkids need to learn. The one thing they should know about us is that we love the Lord. I love it when I come to a funeral and say, you know what, kid? And I look at their kids and their grandkids or a spouse, and I say, you know, the one thing that's true about their life, and not one person in here could disagree with it, they love the Lord. And that should be said of all of us. If you don't have a faith to trust in Jesus Christ, please understand how important that is for a foundation. But the Jews start every day, end every day, throughout the day will say, the Lord, our, I love, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. When they ask Jesus what the greatest commandment is, he goes back to the Shema and uses that as a basis for what he teaches. Why? It's that important. Second idea is, and I think this is where we fail sometimes, he talks about the idea of reminding ourselves of what the Lord's done. One of the things about the pandemic that, you know, there's a lot of things that, that I'm not, I wasn't happy about. There's a lot of things in the whole pandemic thing that were very frustrating to me. But one of the things that it did for us as a church on the plus side of it is it got us back to something that we started doing early in the history of this church with testimonies. And I think what happened was we started to remember that in spite of everything that was going on, we were able to stop and say, this is what the Lord's done this week. We were able to see God in the week in spite of all the other stuff that was happening. I can't stress enough the idea of sharing with your family, sharing with your kids what God's doing in your life, what he's teaching, what you're learning. Be honest, be real. But our kids have to see that. They have to see a genuine person who says, you know what, this is how God works. This is what I'm up against, and this is how I saw God work. You, you're around here any length of time, you're going to hear the stories of how God's worked here. You know why? Because we don't want to forget it. We don't want to, we don't want to glory in it and make that our future, but we use it as we go forward to remind us of what God's done. And that's what, that's what we have to get to. And, and then it's this idea of he's always, always teaching. Sitting, walking, standing, sleeping. You know, it's like I told these kids this morning. Look, and you know this as well as I do. Kids are always watching. I mean, they're like a sponge, you know? So I have to be very careful. She's here, but I'll try not to embarrass her. But um, my, my, my routine is between 5 and 6 o'clock, I usually turn on the news just to catch mainly the weather. And so a lot of times I'll have it run in the background. Well, a lot of times now we've had Claire over. And I've just had to turn it off. Because I started realizing she would start watching, she'd start picking up on this, and she'd start picking up on that, and she'd start, and it's like, whoa, 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 you don't need that. You're five years old. Let's play Legos. You know? They're watching. They're learning. Um, they're constantly, and it's, and it's this idea of, he said, look, you need to understand, every time you go, look, whether you realize it or not, the people you work with are watching. You don't believe me? Now, don't do this, but, you know, you let out a slew of swear words and you'll have their attention because, oh, I can't believe you did that. You know, I mean, one of the best testimonies I had was when I was using an air nailer and, and shot my, my hand to the floor. You know, and I was working with a guy. He wasn't a Christian. 
I was working with a guy, and I said, hey, I need your help here. I said, okay, we got to pry this nail out so I can get my hand off the floor. And you know what he told everybody out of that story? I watched a guy dumb enough to nail his hand to a floor, but he didn't swear. He said he didn't cuss. He, didn't, he, didn't, he said, I don't know why. I've never seen anybody do that. Well, first of all, I've never seen a lot of people nail, be dumb enough to nail their hand to a floor, but then he also didn't see anybody strong enough to, that he wouldn't cuss. Uh, it's a simple little thing. It's a simple little thing, but it goes a long way. People are watching. Their kids are watching. They're paying attention. And that's why he said, make sure that you do this everywhere you go. Um, Mom and dad, look, you are the primary influencer. Can't say it enough. Can't say it enough. I ran across this quote, Socrates, a great philosopher. Listen to what he said. Could I climb to the highest place in Athens? I would lift my voice and proclaim, fellow citizens, why do you turn and scrape every stone to gather wealth? And take so little care of the children of your children, to whom one day you must relinquish it all. You know how often I see this play out? So concerned about making sure I take care of my kids and da 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 da, and I'm going to leave them all this stuff. They don't want the stuff; they want you. You go. Well, I spend quality time with my kids over quantity. Come on, you're smarter than that. I bring up any one of these kids and say, okay, here's a quality toy, or here are 20 toys. Which do you want? Kid's going to go, I want all 21. No child is going to take the one over the 20. Why? Because they think in terms of quantity. And here's what you'll find. You can't schedule... You can't schedule teachable moments in quality time. Teachable moments are random. They come in all kinds of shapes and sizes and forms. And I look back on some of the best discussions I ever had with my kids. They were nothing we could have ever planned. They were often in the middle of some project where they say, hey, Dad, what do you think about this? Or I'd say, hey, how's everything going? Well, not so good. Those come as a result. You go, you go well, well, you know. You don't understand how, how precious my time is. And da, da, da. Listen. Listen. Blink. Because it'll be over before you know it. I'm fortunate. I'm incredibly blessed. And that I, and my family is close to us. I never expected it, never anticipated it, never even asked God for it. And I realize, because I have, I have friends of mine who their kids are spread all over the world all over the country. And, you know, my whole crew's going to be over for lunch this afternoon. And I just realized that that time has gone so quick. And I would just challenge you to understand that while you have that time, you're teaching. Jesus here says, look, you want to teach it right? Teach it in such a way that it's in obedience to the things I've taught. So i got two questions as we wrap it up today. First question is this. Are you ready for a storm? Because it's coming. Don't know when, but it's coming. There will be a storm come. It will all be tested, either on the other side of this world or on this side of the grave. But everything you have built will be put to a test at one point. 
It's either going to stand or it's going to fall. And I just want to ask, are you ready for that storm? You go, well, things are going okay right now. Look, I don't care how things are going right now. It's not about right now. It's about, are you ready for a storm? I might have a window well that fills up. If we get one of those two, three-inch rains, it fills up every time. And if and I have a pump that I, I, I have in it that automatically goes on to flood my basement because I've had it flood a couple of times over the year. So I have a but I don't leave that pump in there in the winter. So as soon as it got nice and I knew it couldn't freeze anymore in there, I set that pump is sitting there all ready to go. It's all ready. You know why? Because I know there's going to be a storm. There's going to be one of those two, three inches, and I'm not going to have time to go run and get that pump or do it at 2 o'clock in the morning like I have for how many years? Worrying about it. So you know what? I'm ready for the storm. My challenge to you, what are you building? Will it pass the test of the storm? Because it will come. It will come. The other idea as we wrap it up, is this idea of you've really got to pay attention to who you're listening to. Jesus here in this story says, look, the whole point of the parable is you need to listen and do. And here's what I'm finding in our culture right now. We're really bad listeners. I don't think it's because we want to be. I think it's because we have too much noise. I think we have so many things demanding our attention that we don't have time to stop and listen. And as the scripture says, be still and know that I'm God. We, we just have too much time. One of the things my wife and I are starting to learn, you know when our best vacations are? When we don't have cell phone reception. We now purposely pick places that have poor cell phone reception. Well, what if somebody needs to get a hold of you? They'll figure it out. But what about, listen, I'm not that important. See, there's times that you have to unplug, and there's times that you have to be able to listen to God. And what happens in our culture is there's so, many, there's so much stuff coming in, coming in, coming in, coming in, we don't have time to think about what we're building or how we're building it or what we should be building. We're just going along with the flow of everything. We, you know, we know, let me talk to grandparents a minute, that's the world I'm in. We know as grandparents, you should support your children when they're in sports, so we go to their games. Why? Well, I want to support my kid. Make a cardboard thing, stick it in a thing, and go look up there, see I'm there in spirit. You go, no, I would never do that. I want to support my kid. Let me tell you something. You want to know the value in supporting your kid? Is what you do before that game and what you do after that game. There's the value. Because you see, when you're watching a game, it's one-sided. There's no interaction with them. And that's what's happened in our culture. We have this world now where we think, where we think presence is enough. And if you haven't figured this out yet with Zoom, presence does not mean I'm actively engaged in conversation with you. 
But we have settled for that now in a culture. Instead of engaging one-on-one, and we have a world in which not only are we socially distant, we are mentally, emotionally, physically, and every other kind of way distant from people. And we look and we measure friends by a Facebook metric that means nothing. And we've got to get back to this idea, folks, of, uh, of engaging and look at who we're listening to and stop and think about what we're doing and why we're doing it and what are we building. And I can't stress it enough. I can't stress it enough. You've got to engage with kids. That, by the way, that's another thing that came out of the pandemic that was good. For the first time, we had people playing games together as a family. We had kids that actually had to unplug a little bit. And we had kids that started to engage with families. And, and, and let me tell you something. What I fear now is that some of those good things that came out of it, we're going to go back to the way it was. We don't want to go back to the way it was. Are some things I want to do? Yes, there's some things I want to do. There's some things we need to change. And God gave us this little glimpse of time to be able to do it. So I end this morning with this. In the parable of the builder, Jesus focuses on the foundation. While people both built houses, only the one built on a solid foundation stood the storm. One day the storms of life will come, and on that day the foundation of your life will be revealed. Make sure that foundation is Christ. And that you're not just hearing God's word, but doing and applying it. Even Satan hears God's word, but he refuses to obey it. Don't make that mistake. Let's pray. Lord, help us. <laughs> Lord, we've got so much coming at us in so many different ways that, Lord, it's hard sometimes to just stop and think about what we're doing and why we're doing it. So, Lord, help us to do that. For those who may not know you as Savior, may they come to understand the necessity of building on that foundation. For those of us that have put our faith and trust in you, Lord, may we not just hear, but may we do. Guide us as we try to direct and encourage and lead and, uh, children. The generation that's coming behind us that will one day stand up here, that will one day take our place. So, Lord, use us, encourage us. Thanks for the day. May we honor you in the week. These things we ask in your name. Amen.